Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I don't like blood and guts But I love them when they're lengthily discussed Welcome to opening day at Yuppie Nightmare Season 2 Stadium. I'm Matt Gorley. And I'm Paul Rust. And we're here and oh my gosh, I can smell uh, not a freshly cut uh, outfield, but freshly fallen leaves that are being raked together. You know, this morning is when our uh, landscaper comes around and, and cleans up the place. And this deck out here was covered in autumn leaves. You're telling me it was covered in foliage. Yes. That had fallen. Uh huh. And was a variety of different colors. Autumnal, if you will. <laughs> How are you, Paul? Um, I'm, I'm good. Uh, I'm great. Hey, because, yeah. hey, we're starting a new yuppie nightmare uh-huh. season. Of course, I'm uh, doing great. Um, I, I just thought, though, when you said autumnal, I was like, ooh, what a beautiful word. A word that sounds like the season or makes you has the feeling of the season, but there's not like a wintorial or springnal or yeah. summerol or what's the equivalent? Summertime. What's the sounds a little crude compared to autumnal? Autumnal. There's the uh, vernal equinox, and what's the other? The autumnal equinox. Know what I mean? Vernal equinox. <laughs> <laughs> the earnest hey, solar system. Hey, know what I mean? Uh, I, that's ridiculous. Impression. That was a good earnest. No, it wasn't. Hey, that was a good Varney. <laughs> so I guess vernal is spring and autumnal is autumn. But yeah, there's no winter oh. or summer. Yeah. And nobody, you know, people, I, hmm. I wish people said vernal spring more often. Happy vernal spring. Vernal? Am I pronouncing That's that right? right, but I don't know how you'd use it. I don't really know. I just know it's the... Vernal. Ugh. Ugh, the gross. opposite of autumnal. I know. Where there's, you know, uh, cold and heat. There's yeah. those words. Ugh. Well, regardless, autumn is in the air, even if the air <laughs> is still approaching 100 degrees at days. But I think it, the trend is that it's cooling. 
Mm-hmm. The shadows seem longer. We're about to hit daylight saving. Halloween's right around the corner. Yeah. And, you know, hey, there used to be a time when the sun started setting earlier in the day and would make me, man, uh, feel a little creeped out. Mm. I don't like seeing those long shadows come into my living room. Eek, eek, eek. Yeah, no, why no, is get... Satan encroaching on my day? Yeah, get me out of here. Get get behind me, Satan. Yeah. Um. And then uh, uh, when I uh, met my lovely wife, Leslie, she was like, hey, you know, ends of days can kind of be uh, mm-hmm. special. Yeah. And I just started thinking about it. And now, Matt, for me, uh-huh. maybe mm, number one most comforting part of the day now oh, really? is a, a sun going down because it does make me think things can be unstable. Mm. Uh, some things never uh, maybe feel forever, but you can kind of always count on the sun going down and the sun coming up. And just that stability alone is, you know, comforting. That's true. And there's something about the sun going down that also signifies, or at least it should, that your, your work day is done. And That's that, the other perspective, my yeah. man. My friend said that to me once. I was saying, hey, I'm kind of getting into the end of the day thing more. Yeah. And he was like, yeah, because you can call it, you're like, well, I can't work anymore. Yeah. Humans do don't it. work in the dark. Uh, <laughs> I guess I got to put away my computer at 4 p.m. Oh, well, it's good to be back here. Yes. Yuppie Nightmares is uh, among, if not maybe, my favorite of mm-hmm. the franchise seasons that we do. Yes. Certainly last time was. We've got an auspicious lineup for you this time. Oh my gosh, just a a bevy of yuppie nightmares. Yes, Uh, I'm excited to talk about After Hours, today's movie, mm -hmm. which I had not seen. We'll cover some business, but we'll dig in. Yeah, and and for those, um, uh, before we get into business, for those of you who are coming to us for maybe the first time, uh, the way we Matt and I did this, uh, we you chose four yuppie nightmare thrillers. I chose four yuppie nightmare thrillers for the second time That's since right. last year, and we're watching them in chronological order because, as Paul so masterfully pointed Thank out, you. you're welcome. <laughs> Their tropes might have been derived from some of these films before, yes. so why not watch them unfold as they would have in society at large? And I uh, took to some uh, fan base online and some people did a lot of help listing the tropes on on our reddit oh um about on our the yeah. and rust reddit oh yeah. nice i didn't even know yeah so i, I never see that i'll read them because they they were helpful and if um as we'll talk about here probably uh, if people on the patreon want to bop over and we can all rehash the yuppie nightmares that we don't uh the the tropes yeah the tropes that we maybe don't get to in after hours yeah or forgot to mention i love it cool. i love it Okay, some business. Business. We are with GorleyandRust.com. You can get all kinds of more content and hot Gorley and Rust action at <laughs> patreon.com slash with and Rust, where we do feature-length film commentaries. Mm-hmm. Coming up, we're recording it uh, next Wednesday. Wednesday. See you next Wednesday, John Landis. Yeah. <laughs> See you next Wednesday, John Landis. The double Halloween 6, The Curse of Michael Myers, simulcast of both the theatrical and a producer's cut double vision commentary. We decided to do it later in the day so we could drink some pumpkin spiders as we go along. Yes. You get mailbag episodes, you get little vid bits, you, you know, you, you may even have to subscribe to find out what that even is. 
cozy tournaments, cozy brackets. We update, uh, we post little pictures and things yeah. on there. There's always something the being peppered on there. Yeah. There's a robust uh, community of the trustees on Discord. Oh my God, get, yeah. all, get on. Yeah, and uh, uh, friendships foster there too. That's right. Uh, and uh, Jody Foster's little sister, Friendships. <laughs> friendships Foster is, is on there. She's on our Patreon. I have in my notes, C-O-M-M dot period. What could that possibly mean? You're writing a note to remember to ejaculate, and you misspelled it. <laughs> <laughs> what does that mean? What is it? It's C-O-M-M, but it's abbreviated. Communications? Um, uh, somebody, um, is teaching a communications class about with Carly and Rust. I don't know. I'm making this riveting podcast, but that also, <laughs> if you're a first time listener, you should know this. This is an at length cozy cast and yeah. it's easy listening. I have two bits of personal business. Let's hear it. Well, uh, Townland and, uh, Mall Walk and the podcast are doing a live show at Dynasty Typewriter on the 21st here in LA. Y'all got to go to this. You better hurry because tickets are almost gone, mm-hmm. but you can also live stream it. If you just go to dynasty <laughs> dynastytypewriter.com. Um, and, uh, uh, sadly, uh, Shannon and Wade from Townland are moving to Texas. So we don't know when we'll be able to do a show again. This is certainly the last for a while. And, uh, we got special guests. It's going to be a really exciting night. Uh, it's a special band. And so if you never got the opportunity uh, yet to see, uh, Townland, I strongly insist. We float in the shadows of don't stop or we'll die. And we always... I don't even think float Float in the the shadows is a term. Unless you're a ghost or a spook or a ghoul. My dad used to crack us up when we were uh, kids. Our family, he would go like, um, you know, kids, it was always hard having birthday in the shadow of a Christmas tree. And his birthday was December 8th. (laughs) It's like, well, you're you're not quite there. I don't know how long that shadow is at the Christmas tree. I get it. And it's also, it's not the shadow of Christmas, it's the looming specter of christmas yes well this is funny i mean my dad i think was being uh cheeky when he said that but a couple of days ago i was talking to some people and we were having the conversation of what's worse the birthday that's near before christmas or the birthday that's right after christmas and i said um, after christmas i think, I think so it's too. worse i think so too because Birthday gifts can then be an appetizer if it's yeah, before. Yeah, after Christmas, that's such a big thing. People don't have an appetite for a lot of celebration. Well, after. the person was telling me their sibling had an after Christmas. A friend was telling me their sibling had an after Christmas birthday. And a lot of times it would be, oh, we forgot. Oh, my so God. So let's just, uh, during Christmas, let's just pull one of the Christmas gifts and call it a birthday, like, next That's week. That's rough. That's not fair. And I think as a kid, you'd have to sense that. You'd be like, hey, this oh, was on absolutely. my Christmas list, not my birthday list. Absolutely. <laughs> my cousin was born on Christmas. Um, he's Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah, your cousin uh, Jesus. Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Your cousin Christ. Yeah. <laughs> then my other bit of business is yes. the long gestating and <gasps> in development Keys to the Kingdom 8. Uh, episode docu-series about working at theme parks is coming out October 16th. Anywhere you listen, you can also get eight 
bonus premium episodes uh they'll the info for that will be in the show notes and those are companion bonus episodes to go with each of the eight regular episodes but otherwise it's free to listen amanda and my wife and i've been working on this for so long and it's not like it took all that much work although we worked hard but there was such a development and so many ins and outs of this crazy podcasting industry, which I can't even believe is coming out of my mouth. But you can hear all about that story on the bonus episodes. But we're oh, very cool. excited. Episodes one and two drop on Monday the 16th. And yeah, most definitely have to check that out because if you love Gorley, wouldn't you want to just hear his brain about theme parks? Oh man, we got there some and Amanda good too. stories. And and we're only hosting this thing mm-hmm. and, and doing interstitials and threading it through. But it's a heavily produced thing where we talk to culture experts. We mm-hmm. talk to all kinds of people that have had good and horrible experiences working for all the theme parks. Um, it's what, it's some what, good fun. When you just, I'm curious now, how many years out from being a theme park employee are you? I'm... I think, I think about 11. With that distance, uh, how do you feel about it? I feel the same way I did when I worked there, which is conflicted. (laughs) I I think it served me well in terms of what I was able to get out of it. Mm -hmm. But the culture there always made my skin crawl. Mm. It's very, you'll hear about this in the podcast Mm -hmm. if you listen, but there's, it's very cultish and pseudo religious mm-hmm. and uh and luckily I worked in a in a group that were the union performers that could kind of travel independently of that throughout Disney although you could not avoid it but you didn't have to belong to it uh-huh. where I think there was like a tacit implication that you had to belong to the cult of Disney if you worked as a character or fuzzy or a princess or something like that. And Amanda what is that was like a you princess. drink like Pluto's blood? Basically, you <laughs> metaphorically you drink the Kool-Aid which in this case was Pluto's blood. <laughs> I was thinking also kind of a, like a Temple of Doom way where like <laughs> oh, yeah. they force open um, the person's mouth and Pluto's head, the skull of Pluto yeah. pulls pours Kali out blood. Mouse. Yeah. Kali mouse. <laughs> I imagine that Probably some parents at a Disney hotel at the end of a long day lay on the bed or in a bathtub jerking around like uh, in, uh, Indy does. With uh, the, yeah. uh, the lines, uh, the cost of a pretzel. And the kids come up and go, Mommy, I love you. Yeah. <laughs> What's the equivalent of burning them with a torch? To, at uh, Disney, yeah, uh, just taking a look at their pocketbook after the day's <laughs> visit to Disneyland. I mean, the wealth of uh, quote unquote, I don't like this term, quote unquote, dad jokes that are afforded to you at a theme park. Yeah. My friend Chris said the very, the one that is in my heart for the rest what? of my life Give was it. so funny. We spent like thirteen hours at Disneyland, and we get on the tram back to the parking structure. And as we're riding the tram back to the parking structure, Chris goes, this is dad's favorite ride. <laughs> That's good, because it is. Yeah, well, it's like, the, this is dad's favorite shop in the mall, is yeah. the, where the seats are, you know. <laughs> <laughs> That's dad's favorite part. Oh. Well... Um, any, uh, well, two juicy bits of information there. Yeah, and Maddie. anything f- for you that you need to cover? Oh, uh, well... 
You no? got your uh, first you, their music video. Yes, Don't Stop or We'll Die uh, animated uh, has a brand new music video for, uh, and I didn't tell you anything about it. I just let you see it with your eyes, Matt. That it's a, it's kind of a amazing an homage to the things you uh, loved, like things oh. like mask and stuff. But yeah. little little microchips, uh, we're saying, was a theme song we wrote for an animated series that was not picked up. It's amazing because the theme song was um, two and a half minutes long. It was way too long for it. <laughs> For a children's TV Aid show. into the show too much. Yeah, but people can check that out on the songs everywhere. You, you listen to songs and stuff. So, and uh, it might be because we got another single coming oh, out soon. So we'll God see. We'll damn. see. Keep abreast. Okay. Um, now, Matt, anything uh, well, else? Well, uh, just to say, you can live stream these episodes. We call it live streaming if you're a Patreon subscriber. And uh, you can also get a shout out with your name if you subscribe to the That's Baby right. Xenomorph level, which we'll do at the end of this episode. And other than what the hell is COMM? Communism? What What did I mean? Now that's going to drive me crazy because I feel like it's something I've got to say. Maybe. Um, um, com? Communications, communism. Anybody have any guesses out there? Let us know on the live screen. Caramel? Maybe you were trying to somehow write caramel. But we're looking over here at our live streamers right now. Hi, y'all. Thank you, thank you. Um, Commissary, commercial. Communic- you know what it, I bet? Oh, Commando. Oh, I wish. You oh, I wish. want to do a remake of Commando. Oh. Patreon on here is abbreviated, so C-O-M-M feels like something would be obvious to me because I felt I could abbreviate it. Hmm. Is there something we... Commentary. I already covered it. Yeah, Got it. The commentary okay, we're, we're done with do. business. Thanks so, for bearing oh, with oh, us. Oh, uh, what's the name of that, by the way? Do we have like a f- name for... For the commentary? For when we're going to watch two of them. Oh. The experience of that. Like Double Trouble. Right. Um, Mikey S- on the Double. Sign you... Siamese Samuel Loomis Siamul Loomis What's what's uh Dr. Loomis's first name? Do they ever say? Not Samuel. Samuel Loomis. Okay. I think it is. Yeah. Samuel Cast. Yeah. That's good. I can't wait to do that. I can't wait. Who knows how it's going to go technically, but I can't wait. Yeah, well, I don't think it's ever been done before. And we might get kind of an altered state situation where, you know, our bodies start transforming just by even, you know, our brains warp. I know if we get sucked into the like Druid rune internet culture that Paul Rudd is looking at on his computer himself. I'm fully worried about getting sucked in by the runes. I am too, man. That's a Rudd's runes. Rudd's runes would be a, a good. Uh, <laughs> uh, I was I was thinking yesterday. Um, um, ber- breaks um, and that a break would get broken has to lead to some interesting conversations at the mo- auto mechanic garage. Am I right? <laughs> How do they get any work done? <laughs> Constant uh, uh, Abbott and Costello routines going on. Oh, God. Uh, now, Matt. Yeah. Should I 
list off some of the yuppie nightmare tropes that please, people please, have collected? Because, because these are th- things you can kind of like bingo card style look out for as we watch these movies. And this is a good collection. So okay. this is from uh, um, uh, the user Caleb Henshaw, given credit where credit's due. Um, and he, uh, he or she uh, said, I'm re-listening to all of the Yuppie Nightmare episodes and decided to make a list of all the tropes they mentioned. I think it can make a fun drinking game. Well, I don't know about that. Whoa. Come on. Uh, unless you're drinking Pluto's blood, I don't want to talk to you. A fun drinking game for this coming season. So far, I have... Nopsies, yeah. remember? Yep. Do you want to recap what that is? So a nopsy is like the opposite of a yuppie because yup and nope uh-huh. are the opposite of each other. And that's when um, police say nope, can't do anything. Yes. Hands are tied. Yup, you'll call in and go, this is suspicious. And they're like, come on, I got royal crimes to mm-hmm. deal with. And uh, glass bricks. Yeah, those 80s glass bricks that you see in all houses and walls of the time. Those were rampant. I was surprised at how prevalent those I were. I think every one, right? And the, uh, every every single movie. Did After Hours have any? No, mm, I don't think so. I was looking for it in the in their loft apartment. Yeah, that's where Keeping my eyes peeled for uh, gl- glass cubes, for yeah. sure. Glass bricks. Yeah. Now, are glass cubes different than glass bricks, Matt? I don't know. Not necessarily, but certainly you can use them interchangeably. You know, we're remodeling our mm-hmm. garage and there's a, just a stud wall back there with a glass brick window. I didn't see that. So if you want to take it, you can. As soon as it comes out, it's not staying. <laughs> Is that your homage? It was just there. Cause that used to be a like de facto or like kind of like a improvised office, but I don't know why of all the things they didn't do to make that mm-hmm. a real working office. They put in glass bricks. You know, I wonder this might be in um, disclosure, not glass bricks, but I feel like, the way glass has gotten sexy in movies <laughs> and in like office settings is it's all glass. Yeah. You see oh, through right. the see through the, right. you can, everybody's a voyeur. Yes, absolutely. Um, and I think disclosure might be the first to throw its hat in the ring to the all glass office. Really? I don't know there. anything about that. Okay. I'm- Wolf has, I think some good stuff like that too, man. Wolf does? Wolf has some good, I can see the person across the office. I don't oh. know if it's through glass always, but. Succession was that way. And of course, Skyfall too. There's a famous fight in a like glass oh. office building at night with the like Hong Kong skyline. My first time I saw it was newsroom was the first time mm. where I was like, Ooh, a lot of glass office stuff here where yeah. one person can be seeing another person talking. Right. But I love that. And, um, uh, Skyfall. Oh, yeah. That's good. Yeah. Um, now, personally, I like watching it. I wouldn't want to be in that fight, okay? No way. I got, I'd be scared of the heights. I'd be scared of getting hurt. You only got a 50 50 <laughs> chance. There's only two people. That's right. It's either me or them. Or Patrice. Oh, it was Patrice? Oh, I yeah. whip his ass. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, number three, going from city to country. Okay. Uh, number four, the scrapbook that gives the deets. I'm so glad you're refreshing us on this. Now we can go back through because I think there are some scrapbooks and whatnots and after hours, but uh, yeah. And uh, and listener, if you're, if you didn't come to us from last season, we know after hours is a bit of a, a left turn for you mm -hmm. because it's literally kind of a, expressionist yuppie nightmare mm-hmm. 
And and the not, the rest of the nine movies we're going to do are more in the classic mold. Yeah, this, this just happened because we did chronological, yeah. which is the right way to go. Yeah. Um, but uh, this is maybe kind of like a fun uh, comic kickoff. And boy, it was. Uh, ooh, well, I'm very excited to start. Uh, so, Yuppie Party Gathering. Mm-hmm. Uh, yuppies Watching Trash Television was one I forgot about. They always oh, find a yeah. way to get a little dig at, like, ugh, culture, popular culture. That's right. Uh, uh, men's facial hair representing them shady or unreliable. But usually well-groomed, whether it be a mustache or a beard. It's not like... A hobo beard. Right. It's not like, ooh, this guy, five o'clock shadows seems questionable. It's yeah. like, this guy's beard is so well groomed, yeah, it's questionable. It's a little the lady doth protest. The lady <laughs> doth, doth groom too much. Yeah. How about you go and facial groom your life? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, a fake ID and hidden past gets revealed. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Hidden past. Um, a uh, normal-looking protagonist doing fine at job is irresistible to beautiful, mysterious women. Rich character has luxury... That's kind of co- in After Hours. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I like this one. Rich character has luxury... Oh, these are from other people, too, by the way. Now, this is Timely Cycle, who did the... Um, yep, he's watching a, a fake ID. This is Desert Vol. Did rich character has luxury car with pop-up headlights. <laughs> <laughs> that Desert- was of such... Yeah. Time. Desert Wall also said suits on the weekdays, but cozy sweaters and sweatshirts on the weekend. Yeah. Um, and uh, Mips95 said a Volvo of some sort. Mm-hmm. Um, Willow Wisp81 said yuppie having an obscure job like kite maker or jingle writer. Kite maker, that's right. <laughs> and pregnant. Who was the kite maker? That was the bearded guy from. Yeah. And the, the jingle writer was old yeah. Kevin Glide. Yeah. Jesus say Sewell, pregnant wife, couple couple trying to have a baby, or she's pregnant at the end, exercise mm-hmm. scene, gym, jogging, working out, wine drinking, and that's it. Okay. Okay. Um, so, Matt, this is your first time watching After Hours. Yeah. What do you think, buddy? Oh, I loved it. I really yeah. loved it. I didn't doubt that I would. I mean, yeah. it's Scorsese. I knew it was like whimsical, but even his whimsical is always a little dark and mm-hmm. It's uh, it's it's weighted down, I think, you know, but paper weighted down. Yeah, paper weighted bagel, plaster of Paris <laughs> bagel, paper weighted down. Uh, just the way everything. I didn't. Exp- I actually think I thought it would be more absurd and surreal. Mm-hmm. It's not that much, other than the neat way everything feeds back in mm-hmm. the story. I really, really enjoyed it. And man, Griffin Dunn and Rosanna Arquette. I just you just can't help but love those two. Mm-hmm. I, why is Griffin Dunn not an A-list actor throughout his entire career? I mean, he still works and he does a lot mm-hmm. and maybe some of it's by choice and a lot of it is behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize he directed Practical Magic. I learned that. Um, but why, it feels like this guy should have been top billing throughout mm-hmm. all decades of his career. Well, yeah, because we've gotten to see him also in uh, American Werewolf in yeah. London so far in our on our podcast. I don't think we'll watch My Girl anytime soon. No. Unless we do like a insects attack kind of run. Of I've movies. never seen My Girl. Um, hey, if you like Griffin Dunn, check it out. He's like okay. the teacher My Girl has a crush on. Okay. Um, so he gets a couple good, um, uh, you'll like it. Uh, uh, um, 
po- Dead Poet Society kind of mo- like oh, the teacher nice. who's like, whoa, this person's coming oh. from the other world and shaking up my quiet life. He just had such good delivery and reactions in this movie. Well, I love him in this movie. It's so yeah. good. I mean, yeah, the reactions that, yeah, right, exactly. The delivery reactions, because essentially he is playing a straight man to a bunch of more wackier characters than him. And I've seen this movie. I just watched it a couple months ago. I love it too, Matt. Uh, yeah. And I watched it a couple months ago recently. And because we chose it, I was like, hey, I'll watch it again. But rewatching it was the first time I noticed that he never, and maybe it was because of the yuppie nightmare thing. He never says out loud, he doesn't like his job or he feels like trapped in it. Right. Um, but like when you're watching it, you understand like that, character you know like what yeah. he's going but the delivery stuff is like so funny man like the um when terry gar says did you miss me and he goes i missed you so much i haven't missed anybody so much as you in my life uh and then the uh his all, all the uh Roseanne arquette stuff yeah yeah and his little exchange with the bouncer at the club which is i guess right out of kafka i read yes yeah literally i think word for word Uh, except uh mohawk night yeah (laughs) (laughs) i don't know maybe oh my god yeah oh i mean like and there's some stuff that's like just yeah straight up comedy like that little routine like uh between the bouncer and him and uh the other little bit of comedy that's really funny is when he says to the diner owner, hey, cook a grill, make it medium rare, uh, hamburger, I'll yeah. be right back, glass of water, black coffee. Then he leaves, and then when he comes back, the guy just like quietly gives it to him yeah. uh, 20 minutes later. That's very, like, uh, everything circles back. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's It was really fun. I really enjoyed it. I didn't write a ton of notes because I... It was my first time seeing it. I just kind of like went along for the ride. And what a movie to go on a ride with because it's all one night, one crazy night. Yeah. You just go along with it. So before we talk about the movie, Matt, how about like, I just want to know, what do you think about that time period? Oh, come on. 12 a.m. to like 5 a.m. Oh, yeah. I mean, what movies do you got? Judgment Night. What else do you got? You got Quick Change, which actually seems very influenced by this movie. Yeah. You're right. I mean, this also just kind of came out of that whole um, era of the pent-up yuppie meeting a wild woman right. stuff. So right. there's, oh, um, yeah, there's Into the Night with Jeff Goldblum and Michelle Pfeiffer. Yeah. That came out 85, What's a few the, months like, before Melanie this. What's the Melanie Griffith one? That one is awesome. That's probably, uh, uh, I like After Hours more probably, but Something Wild is really Something great. Something Wild. And that one's interesting because whereas After Hours is from the beginning feels kind of sweaty and anxious, Something Wild is kind of starts off more screwball and then gets even more violent and scary by the end. Oh, really? Like it's a slow burn. Whereas like what's fun about After Hours, I feel like, is it's a little... I mean, Melanie Griffith definitely seems dangerous in it. But also another movie I would put in that is like Blind Date with Bruce Willis. Yes, that's right. And this isn't quite right, but maybe it's the L.A. version of it. L.A. Story with... Yeah, 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 yeah. Segment with... uh, The guy, it's basically also, yeah, a guy in one night and you see him going from having like a nice suit 
and by the end, his suit is all like torn up. I and know shit. it's the yeah. diehard tank top of it all. Uh, and, uh, do you think Blind Date predicted actually the Detective uh, McLean like slow disrobing as I hope so. instrumental to character? Just that Scorsese had Hitchcock in mind when making this and the score. The score is so good by Howard Shore. Oh, awesome. Because it's kind of like sort of horror chilling, Mm -hmm. but at the same time, it's synthesizer. So Mm -hmm. it's got a contemporary 80s feel and it's not altogether unpleasant either no it's like neo-noir like uh yeah the uh hitchcock thing is probably you know one of my favorite horror movies man is psycho you know Mm -hmm. that and there's a lot of stuff that's just like feels like lifts from psycho yeah like anytime um they go to like a overhead shot like when he's in the bathroom and he flushes it and then it starts overfilling and it feels scary because it looks like a shot from Psycho, but it's really funny because he thinks putting the lid down will stop the water from oh, pouring out. There's a couple laugh out loud moments in this when he was in that bathroom and he just looks at the graffiti art and it's just a shark biting a man's boner. Yeah. But A plus to graffiti art because it looks so much like it's something you'd really see in a bathroom. Can but- I tell you my uh, shark biting a guy's dick? graffiti art story we all got one <laughs> so matt my favorite class i probably ever took in college was a bernardo bertolucci martin scorsese class Were like you, comparison um the direct uh, the film the professor i think got to choose two filmmakers and he felt like them both being uh he was italian the mm. professor so i think it was like italian filmmakers and uh, maybe the ones he thought could probably have the most written up about them, like mm-hmm. stuff that, you know, whatever. But it was cool because it was like maybe s- however long a semester is, but it was like six Bertolucci movies, six Scorsese movies. And the ones we didn't get to watch in class and discuss, people got to pick and watch. Uh, and then give your own little report about it. So effectively, you, we discussed the movie uh, because somebody yeah. else. And uh, I uh, I did pick after hours, oh, and we wow. got to pick a scene to show that we felt like was the, like a, a, oh, a, wow. you know what'd you pick? Uh, the part where she says, "I'll I'm going to go to the bathroom. I'll be back." And he goes over and he looks at the burn books. Oh yeah. And then she comes in. <laughs> holding the candle with the biggest flame on earth <laughs> next to these like silky, like uh, pajama uh, robe. Um, but uh, a very cool thing that happened with this class was one time or a couple times after the like Wednesday night film screening, the I got invited with a couple other students by the professor to go out and talk about the movie and oh my God. have a drink at a bar. And it was like a cool bar. It's called the Deadwood in Iowa city. <gasps> and, uh, if I, last time I went to Iowa city a few years ago, I went to the Deadwood cause it's like the right. It, it, I could be wrong about this, but it's like the writer's workshop bar where it's dark and, uh, um, Oh yeah. And it's not, it doesn't feel like, um, is snobby or whatever, but it, it doesn't feel like a, Oh, you're in a big 10 school. A lot of the bars there kind of feel like, oh, it's for, but and whatever. That's a long way of talking about. But uh, I went into that, we go, 
And I never went to bars in college, by the way. So, like, this is, like, my third time being at a bar in college. I'm like, whoa, this is very cool. Keep it together, dude. I'm going to find you out. So I went and sat in the booth, and then I had to go to the bathroom. And I went, and I took a pee at the urinal. And right in front of me was the graffiti of the guy getting his dick, the shark biting his dick. Oh, my God. And I came back, and I told the teacher, I was like, oh, you know the after-hours graffiti? It's in the bathroom. He was like, no. He did Really? It. He did it. I don't know if he... <laughs> well, the end of the story, cool story, bro, is uh, <laughs> when I went back to Iowa City a few years ago. I Save was... it for the bars. <laughs> I, I was hanging out with some friends uh, who, who still live in the area. We went to the Deadwood, and I mentioned to the owner, oh, I went and saw After Hours, and then... Uh, for a class and then we went here and the graffiti was the same but now it's gone oh. and then uh, later that night I went in and it had been drawn on like the odor went in it was like okay and he's oh my god <laughs> so I love that graffiti the first time I saw him Matt oh. I laughed out loud Me too. it is I laughed so out loud. funny and just his reaction to it and the, and the just the I don't know the thematic implications of mm -hmm. it not the literal Everything. I think this is what I love about this movie is there's so many movies that get symbolic and thematic and abstract, but it always feels a a little forced and that there's no way to connect it necessarily. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, I'm hit and miss with David Lynch because sometimes I do find it a little indulgent and impossible to connect. I like abstract things when you can mm -hmm. kind of at least see the like root of it or mm -hmm. something. And, this just feels like, oh, it's surreal and absurd, but everything feels justified and in its place in a sense, even yeah. though it's out of place. And yeah, I loved that. I know. That's what I, it's funny. I was thinking like, it's a fine line. It's hard. It's yeah. hard to walk that line. No, no. When I was watching it, I thought about how, and uh, it's funny because Hitchcock, the comparison is probably fitting here too, but I was like, I think Martin Scorsese, um, you could make an argument for being like the greatest filmmaker, mm -hmm. greatest American filmmaker, because like Hitchcock, it's like the artistry and style is apparent and uh, awesome. Yeah. And the entertainment value is high so you get something that's like high art but also like it ain't not entertaining anybody can watch goodfellas and like it's like the most entertaining movie in the world right, right. um and any filmmaker can kind of have one of those two things but then this third thing of the like what's this person's feeling about people and the world and behavior. And it's funny, like some filmmakers can do one of those things, yeah. two of those things. It's really kind of rare to find somebody who does all three things, which is like yeah. entertainment, high art, there, you watch them and you go, I know how this person feels about people and like life. And, you know, people love Goodfellas because of the camera moves and it's about gangsters, but I think they really like it because they go, Oh, that's how people talk around tables and talk to their moms with their friends and stuff. Like, I just like, for me, after hours is like, so it, it is, it is surreal, but it is like at the end of the day, like that, 
scene when they're it's walking surreal, back to her apartment not... and he tries to kiss her and they start to kiss and then she backs away and he goes, I'm sorry, do you want me to go? Like, that's not oh. shit that would be normally in a person's movie about my crazy night no, out. And yeah. it's, it's surreal, but it's not supernatural and it's not out of this world. It's all, it all could have right. happened in, in an extremely coincidental evening. It could happen. And I was left feeling like, I think I've had nights like this. I've mm-hmm. had dates like this where I thought one thing was something with a girl and then it wasn't. And then you just feel like a fool and you, you feel lost and you feel mm-hmm. like you, you didn't know what end was up. And it was yeah. such a good expression of that. Yeah, I know. It gets at like, um, you know, it's funny. It's not even to make it... Um Gender, like a man does this and a woman does this. It, it, but, or not but, and it's like, uh, the person who says to another person, come over at midnight to my place, is the same dangerous person. That's a turn on. Oh, yeah. I might get laid. Yeah. I'm going to jump in a cab and zoom down there because I might get laid tonight. Well, that's the same dangerous person who, or, or, or unstable, possibly, person who will tell you, like, a horrific story <laughs> and kill themselves that night. Like, I know. It, it, it isn't like... Or that has a boyfriend and a husband. Yes, 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 yes. Who uh, they're also, also, like, worried about. include you. You're yeah. a third party to that. Right, 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 right. And, and then the Linda Fiorentino character, Kiki feels like someone I've met before too, where in this movie I'm like enthralled watching that unfold. But in real life, I would have, when I've met people like that, I just go, I'm out of here because I don't understand you, but you're also kind of a jerk, you know? So if you're going to, you can be one or the other, you can be a jerk, but also like make sense or you can, not make sense but be nice yeah i'll stick around but if you're both i just don't have that nice and uh um uh confusing or yeah yeah no 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 good but this this movie comes at such an interesting time in scorsese's career because after the you know like perceived failures of kings of com i mean king of comedy Mm -hmm. and not getting last crusade Last Crusade. Oh, I wish. Oh my God, the Last Crusade of Christ. (laughs) But when he's dying on the cross, he has a vision of marrying a snake and having children with it. They're like, "No, Indy, that's everything you're against." He's like, "Oh God, deep down, this is what I wanted. I wanted to marry a snake and have kids." (laughs) But then, in the end, he decides to die on the cross. (laughs) So we know his sacrifice. Uh, That this movie is the circumstances ended up with a Scorsese movie that is really unlike no other. There's a lot of Scorsese movies that seem to have sisters and brothers, especially, you know, Goodfellas and Casino and Irishman. Mm-hmm. And, but this movie, because he didn't really develop it mm-hmm. originally and kind of came on board, which is rare for him, at least moving forward from here. Mm-hmm. It kind of has, and it's an independent movie, but it it's well supported, and he has final cut, so it has <gasps> like his auteur brand, but yes. it also feels like it has to play within a system a little bit, mm-hmm. and it's a comedy more than anything. Yeah, w- what if anything in his 
canon, is it bringing out the dead that is even related to this in in any way? Yeah, it's a, the uh, I I hear you about like I love the exuberance of he's working on a low budget with a shorter shooting schedule with more unknown actors and less scale because well that's just like kind of like a dope ass move yeah it does to bring it back to Hitchcock that's like what he did with Psycho it was like Mm -hmm. uh, did uh, North by Northwest this huge epic transcontinental spy action adventure movie and then he uses the crew for Alfred Hitchcock Presents, the TV show, to shoot uh, uh, with a TV crew's psycho. Mm, I didn't know that. And yeah. so that feels like sort of like what's exciting about Psycho and After Hours, I think, is it's somebody who has complete mastery of a big movie and they're like focusing it on a small like scrappy movie and so it just has like the intensity of it could be schlock in somebody else's hands maybe or something but it has like an auteur i mean and you're right it is different than the there's not much other i mean king of comedy came out before this but and so it's a comedy but it's I don't see it them as related at all. Yeah, it also it's shot. I love the King of Comedy. So do I. Um, but it it doesn't have those um, Scorsese camera moves or the like close ups of object stuff that he's like so awesome. Like, but After Hours has all of that. Yeah. So it's funny because it has like Taxi Driver vibes of just like a camera might just like go away or have a close object of a weird looking thing and you're you get a feeling from it but the fact that it's happening in a comedy is like the exciting part of it it's like oh you get like fun scorsese stuff but you get like a less than 90 minute thing if you had to pick one that was like the partner scorsese movie to this or the most similar what would it be Ooh, what do you think? Well, that's what I'm thinking. I haven't seen it in a long time, but Bringing Out the Dead, it's all, isn't that all in the night? And it's way more frantic, but it's kind of oh, yeah, that's darkly a, comic. Yeah, and, yeah, 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 yeah. And I'm not saying it's as successful, but... No, and they're both... Because, um, like, you could You put could say they're of, both also the movies that they he does before something, between com- big commercial projects, too. Like yeah. big epic movies, it's yeah. kind of like oh, the fun of seeing right a midnight movie. Because Shutter Island and Departed are kind of like his genre mm-hmm. pairs. Uh, Gangs of New York, in a way, kind of feels. Yeah, I mean, it's funny because the protagonist wise and the fact that he didn't develop this. Yeah, um, and it was Griffin Dunn having a script and then bringing it to him, and but like. Um, the one thing that's different about this protagonist to your point about how these are different, a little feel a little different than another Scorsese movie. My friend, Chris, the same one who said, this is dad's favorite, right? At Disneyland. This guy's crushing it. He's awesome. Uh, he's got a great brain and, uh, he's taken many things from, uh, uh, the insights he's had, um, uh, put them in my own life. I mean, yeah. uh, but, uh, he was saying that, um, why can't Martin Scorsese ever have a main character who's as smart as him? As Scorsese? Yeah. And I think maybe the exception is 
this character yeah. in After Hours. He I doesn't have the self-awareness to be like, I to say out loud, I am in a trap here. Or I, yeah. I'm not happy here. But he seems to have a little bit more insight than... Or, or self-awareness, ability for observ- self-analysis. Yeah, you know, that that is fascinating because you rarely get a Scorsese main character that isn't actually kind of, if not a reprobate, but a cautionary tale. And they're kind of like, they get blinded by one sort of thing and yeah. because they're dumb. I mean, Raging Bull is like the biggest example of that. It's just like a guy who's like, doesn't have the capacity to understand why he does the things he does. And I think taxi driver is like somebody trying to figure out who they are. They just go about it the wrong way. Like, and even the Wolf of Wall Street, I love the Wolf of Wall Street, but that's a guy who doesn't fully can't be honest with himself. Yeah. Um, and the, the, by virtue that Martin Scorsese can make these movies, you realize he has an awareness of himself so there's times yeah. you just wish, oh, I wish one of his characters had to be kind of trapped in their awareness that they're aware they're a shit and they, you know, like yeah. Irishman I love too, but the Irish, he's a, he's a lummox. Oh, absolutely. De Niro is just like this guy who's yeah. like, tell me what to do and I'll do it for you, boss. I'll go across yeah. seas and fight or I'll, you know... Uh, I'm Kill people if you need to. Very much looking forward to Killers of the Flower Moon because I've I've typically not been a fan of the Leo Scorsese mm-hmm. films. I I just what don't you like about him? I'm just the re- I'm finding out very much in the minority that I only like Leo in certain roles. Mm-hmm. I I don't get past the actor. I can't for mm-hmm. some reason. Mm-hmm. Any be- part, any role of you have you ever like. Well, I liked him in Departed a lot because mm-hmm. I believed that guy in that role. Mm-hmm. I never really could get past him in J- Dango, Django Unchained. Um, I know that's Tarantino, mm-hmm. but like Kings of New York and The Aviator, mm-hmm. and um, even I liked Wolf of Wall Street. That yeah, was getting Kings there. of New York, or what's that? Gangs Kings, of New York, yeah. <laughs> Gangs of New York, and. Uh, uh, the Aviator are way less interesting to me than uh, Top Wolf of Wall Street, than Departed, than Shutter Island. If we're yeah, I need the- to revisit Shutter Island because everybody loves that, and I remember not loving it. But I feel like I have to be wrong, and that I think it was just because the twist seems so obvious, mm-hmm. even though I don't even remember what the twist <laughs> is. But at the well, time, if you watch remember, it, rewatch it, you go, "Oh, this seems obvious." Then yeah. just follow that gut instinct. <laughs> and Gangs of New York is a movie I want to love, 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 mm-hmm. and it's a little hard to do that also because of its, you know, restructuring through Weinstein and everything like that. But yeah, that'd be one of those heaven screening rooms if you could kind of see yeah. what um, Martin Scorsese wanted to do with Gangs of New York, especially when you hear about the what seemed to be the big thing they were butting heads over. Harvey Weinstein was the the length, and now I don't like. This is a thing people uh, commonly say, but like, I watched The Irishman and I didn't feel its length whatsoever. I no. was like transported. Yeah, me too. So, and you know, some people say, oh, when you shorten something, it actually makes it feel longer because you're jumping over like mm-hmm. things that would clarify something. So you get more confused and you're just like, oh, when I, it what's happening? It depends. Happen-? It's hard to know when it's indulgence and when it's needed. 
when somebody's a master and you can kind of just like trust, like they know what they're doing. I'm really looking forward to Killers of Flower Moon. We're going to find out because I think that's a three and a half hour movie. Yeah, that's why why I'm excited to see it because I'm like, you know, and I just went last week, I went to the uh, Alamo Draft House by myself and I went and saw Barry Lyndon. Oh, wow. And uh, that was totally one of those movies that it doesn't feel its length. It, if you yeah. get transported and your brain kind of goes somewhere, it doesn't really matter what the time it took. Well, I'm just very curious to see Leo in this one because it's a real departure for him in a Scorsese Departature. film. Departure. Uh-huh. And he has never really worked for me in a period piece that's not like modern period. I, he mm-hmm. works for me in Wolf of Wall Street and, and even Once Upon a Time in mm-hmm. America. But Gangs of New York... Titanic. Um, Do you think his head just doesn't look like somebody's head during that time? Is no, it just something down to I honestly think that? it's his voice. It uh-huh. sounds too contemporary. And so when he's doing a, like a Southern period accent in Django Unchained, Chained, it feels put on to me. But this this one coming up, the character is a lummox, and he's not hmm. an alpha. Hmm. And so I'm very Curious have you read the book? I haven't yeah, read the book. Oh, what did you think of the book? Oh, that's amazing. Oh, so you're yeah. you're going in now and you got a mind? A yeah, brain and, and about it? I was surprised because I read the book not too long mm-hmm. ago knowing that the movie was coming. I was surprised when I was reading the book that that Leo was, I keep using his first name, nickname, like, you know, we're in some kind of special relationship. Hey, no, it's like Stallone or something. It's easy. Sly. Uh, that he, I was surprised that this was his role and I kept expecting the actual historical record of this person to be to play out differently mm-hmm. because of my preconceptions of who was playing. Oh, him. interesting. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I am. Um, I'm ex- definitely very excited. It's probably the thing I'm most anticipating next to the killer that David oh, me, that the killer in the documentary The Pigeon Tunnel about. Errol Morris interviewing John le Carré. Oh my goodness gracious. I didn't even know that existed. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. His last interview before he died. Hey, holy. Do you and think he ever says like, um, Milton Burrow was a spy. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> I've been saving on to that. Literally my dying breath. So I've got three breaths left. That's, that's one. And then here I go to Milton Burrow's spy. Oh. Um, the, uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, as far as, yeah, with Leo, I, 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 I really like him. Um, my wife loves them, so yeah. we get to have. I'm the in the minority. Of, uh, I don't, and know, I know you were saying, but of I course. don't know anybody that doesn't like right. him. In, and in you were saying movies. that, yeah, yeah. And I, so I, I wish this is one of those things where, like, I'm not on a soapbox about. I don't get it. Why don't people? Yeah. It's not a Doctor Sleep thing. This is a. <laughs> I I wish I. I wish he didn't take me out nah. because I, I, these like these are Scorsese movies. I could be enjoying that much more. I still enjoy them, yeah, and I still think he's a great actor. I well, just, this isn't yeah. um, uh, uh, a convincer. What yeah. I'm trying to say, uh, what I'm about to say, is more a, um, the funny thing to note, <laughs> I guess. But like his, um, like each actor kind of has like movie star, lead actor, movie star, movie star. You can kind of boil down all their work to like one story, one character, right? Yeah. Like Tom Cruise's is like. I'm the best at every. I'm the best at this. Maybe I'm not the best. No, I'm the best. And Leonardo DiCaprio's feels like 
I'm tenuously, or, or, or I think I'm on top of the world. Mm. And then it's just a slow descent and sort of seeing the psychological effect it has on that character as they're like descending. Like it seems like he loves playing like yeah, I think a character does. who descends. Yeah. And you basically slowly watch them kind of like lose their shit. And out of, as far as movie star stories that they keep going back to that they want to retell, that's a way more interesting one for me yeah. than uh, whoever. The Tom Cruise one example. For I sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love his choices. His yeah. roles are great. I guess I can always feel like I see the wheels turning a little bit as an mm-hmm. actor, especially if I really like him in Once Upon a Time in, a, in a Hollywood. Yeah. But when he's sharing a screen with Brad Pitt, and it's not a charisma thing, but I think Brad Pitt's more effortless, and I get the roles are supposed to be that way, mm-hmm. but I am watching Brad Pitt the entire time, because not because of the way either of them looks, but it's because <laughs> the way they roll. And, mm-hmm. <laughs> and I just feel like Leonardo DiCaprio's thinking too much. Mm-hmm. He's always thinking a little bit too much, where... De Niro as Scorsese's like mm. main guy for so many years yeah. was just inhabiting. And that's why this movie coming up is going to be well, really you know, something to see. And you've heard my little uh, thing about, uh, uh, you know, when this boy's life came out, it was De Niro's playing his dad. Yeah. Leonardo DiCaprio's playing his son. De Niro, DiCaprio. This guy is, is, um, taking the mantle yeah. or, or, or will now take the baton from right. Brando to De Niro to DiCaprio. Got to end in an O. That's right. And yeah. you know, in Raging Bull, there's that really great thing where Robert De Niro's doing On the Waterfront. I've never seen Raging Bull. Oh, dude. It's, hey, it's watch been it. A huge, it's been a huge gap. In Up my... until a few years ago, and it still might be my favorite Scorsese. Really? Yeah. I, I just hear it's so bleak. And so... In, I've had trouble sitting down to watch it because I've missed it for so many years. Yeah, that's sometimes why I get confused if I, what is my favorite of his? Because I'm like, I don't necessarily feel warm when I watch it. So it's not the one I, even Taxi Driver has like a warmth to it that Raging Bull doesn't have. Yeah. But... Well, anyway, so the in in Raging Bull, there's this kind of funny meta moment where Jake LaMotta is trying to do the monologue from On the Waterfront that Marlon Brando right. is famous for. And you're going like, you're watching it in 1980. I'm sure you're like, well, this dude played young Marlon Brando in Godfather 2. Right. Now he's doing this funny little... So, just see the Raging Bull, and that's the end scene. He's doing this monologue. Now, I'm sure you're familiar with the end scene of Boogie Nights. Yeah. Is Dirk Diggler looking into a mirror and giving a monologue. Now, Boogie Nights, Dirk Diggler was originally written for Leonardo DiCaprio. And this was after this boy's life. This is after he's already been set up as like, it goes Brando, De Niro, DiCaprio. I think that scene would have been a funny like, we're going three levels deep now with these guys. Yeah. Uh, we're now riffing on it, and the joke is at the end he pulls out a huge dick at the end. <laughs> like that's the funny punctuation of this. But um, instead, it's uh, Mark Wahlberg, uh, which is great. But it's just different than yeah. uh, DiCaprio or Brando. Well, and De Niro. how soon do you think DiCaprio is going to find his little protege? Is it going to be Timothy Chalamet? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, going uh, bringing it back to it. 
you know, the Scorsese, uh, uh, Griffin Dunn, and um, when I watch his movies, you just, a lot of times you're like, oh, this is the person's best um, performance in a movie, is, yeah. is Martin Scorsese. And uh, my wife and I, we love After Hours, and she was watching with me, um, and... We love you were talking about how great Rosanna uh, Arquette oh, she's is. So good. When she goes the first time when she leaves his room and she goes, I feel just something really exciting is gonna happen. Like and we were talking about like she's amazing. This she's is amazing. like the best and um we we're like, Well what's Scorsese say to somebody that lets them give that performance? I was partly thinking, like, if you've just watched a thousand movies, you know what an actor's goods are, and you go, you just see Rosanna Arquette's the good she has. I think it's like casting. That, it's yeah, all casting. Yes, and and that's knowing what, I, yeah. what we know now about the eccentricities of the Arquette family, I think she came prepackaged with those things that were so charming. <laughs> Excuse me. Yeah. Um, she's also really good in this Scorsese short called Life Lessons that's in. Um, New York yeah, stories. I've heard that's great. Um, and she's really great in that as well. Um, and other great performances in this movie. I mean, from the first minute, you get like um, Bronson Pinchot. I know. And and just just playing a guy. Yeah. Not even do you. It's rare that you don't see Bronson Pinchot making a meal out of a character. And I mean that in a good way. I've never seen him in a movie where I didn't love him, <gasps> including this, which yeah. is just straight down the middle. Yeah. You, yeah. you, you wouldn't have preferred a Balky accent in this scene. <laughs> I would say if he was going to do something, one of his things, I would have taken it. I don't know what, like, I'm sure you would have come up with something new for this. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I like it too that, I mean, you could say it with him and then for the rest of the movie, each character and the character actors who play him are all, like you said, perfectly well cast, like perfectly yeah. cast. Yeah. Um, and I have to imagine just cause Martin Scorsese seems to have love people 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 like how people behave and how yeah. people act that this character just isn't um one dimension are you talking about Rosanna Arquette's uh, no Bronson oh, Bitch's character oh, yeah. even kind of yeah. has like uh you're right he is a guy and he plays it normal but he has this like internal world of he's like I don't want to do this every day no, for my life I actually want to start like a journal magazine where we publish the people who can't get published. Yeah. It's such a funny like little character. And very New York of the time. Yeah. 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 And the way that while he's saying that then you have Griffin Dunn just kind of staring at stuff and you go, well, I guess he's connected either doesn't like what this guy's saying and he's checking out or he's kind of going like, oh yeah, I, is this what I want to do? Yeah. But the um, the uh, uh, other actors that are in it that are really good. Uh, you get Dick Miller in there, yeah, and Linda Fiorentino. You said and Will Patton. Wait, who's Will Patton? He's Horst. What? He's who? Horst. Kiki's like a kink boyfriend. At, that's it. That's oh Will my gosh. Patton. And then young Catherine O'Hara, who I think I've never had a bigger crush on. <laughs> I I I mean I Catherine O'Hara. I was always aware of her on SCTV, but when you see her in a Scorsese movie at that age, yeah, you just go, this is a different Catherine O'Hara than I'm used to because she's not 
playing comedy comedy. She's funny in this yeah. movie, but she's acting. Yeah. And you're just not used to that with young Catherine O'Hara. Yeah. Did you, know? you um, uh, think it was cool that uh, Mr. and Mrs. McAllister from Home Alone are both I know, in this movie? I know. <laughs> I was just so taken with her in this and Rosanna Arquette. Yeah. Oh, oh. Well, it's funny because they all become kind of, there's like three or four different blonde women who are slightly unstable. Mm -hmm. He meets them at first and he thinks they're stable. Yeah. Then he gets back into their place and then they become unstable. Now, the woman at the end who puts in paper mache, you could say even maybe she's the fourth of those women or maybe even the third and Catherine O'Hara isn't one of those because Catherine O'Hara is the only one out of those four where it never verges on romantic. Like, he, yeah. he definitely thinks he's going to get laid with uh, Roseanne Arquette. Uh, him and Terry Gar have a close moment where you think he might. I think Catherine O'Hara is. I think it's the... Oh, she's definitely, like, sexy. But I just, I, mean, I just like, mean, I think that they're a trio. And I think the... The woman at the end is, is a coda kind of thing, kind or? of a coda. Because yeah. did you know what the in Brantley Palmer's notes mm -hmm. that original ending of this was? He was going to crawl up inside that woman's womb, and she was going to give birth to him on a highway or out in the street. <laughs> yeah, and apparently, I read this elsewhere. Scorsese went to his gang, you know, of friendly filmmakers, and said, "Help me with an ending." And what do you think? Mm -hmm. It's. And Pretty Michael Powell, uh, the Red Shoes director, was the one who suggested oh. he should be brought back to his office at the end. Oh, yes. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, yeah, Scorsese ultimately thought that too, right? Yeah. Yeah. But just the fact that he ends up paper mache in this statue that we've already had set up. And it comes back to so many of these things. Yeah. It's pretty great. No, I love that. And also the uh, paper mache thing too is like, it kind of... Um, rattles me a little gives me kind yeah. of creep. Oh, oh uh, absolutely because the whole movie is like a little bit like this guy keeps getting in traps he keeps getting ensnared Definitely. and then there's yeah. and maybe that's like the kafka part of it it's just like you don't know you're entering into a trap so there's parts too where it'll be like he gets hope and it's oh, worse that he gets hope oh and my you know if it was just of... a downside the whole time it'd be like that's bad but like yeah. the times he gets moments to be like oh i could get out of this and then brought back down or that he's on one thread that before he can even finish that he gets pulled into another and so he's he realizes a halfway through one crisis that he hasn't given the bartender the keys back yes yes yeah and that started giving that's the yuppie nightmare yes well open tabs i mean here we go i mean is this a yuppie nightmare or yuppie anxiety dream, like intense anxiety i dream. think it may be the latter let can we take a pee break well, i love it let's, let's, take, let's leave off on that with Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. 
PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. With Corley and Okay, yuppie hey, nightmare hey. or yuppie anxiety dream? Well, hey, Matt, before we jump into that, I was just, uh, I was talking on the live stream here with uh, yeah. during the bathroom break, and uh, 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 a trustee, Nick Soya, uh, S-A-Y-O-H-A, uh, he um, uh, asked uh, if uh, we'd ever want to do um, uh, movies like uh, Barbarian or Talk to Me, do a uh, sort of, I was like, ooh, 21st century horror. Absolutely. Be, uh, those are two movies I really enjoyed. Yeah, so if you guys uh, have any ideas like that, hey, you can uh, swing on by the live stream. Now, Matt. Yeah. Woo-hoo. So you were saying, is it a yuppie nightmare, yuppie anxiety dream? Is it both? Because nightmares are often fueled. There are types of nightmares. There's like night terrors. But my nightmares are often anxiety, you know, vents. And this feels like that kind of thing. It's just weird enough, but just grounded enough to feel like it could be a dream in, in yeah. some ways, but certainly fueled by anxiety, especially the anxiety of of feeling um, like how do you approach a romantic prospect and the fear of that unfolding into like cataclysmic and ex like existential mm-hmm. threats. Because in a nightmare, they snowball that way, you know? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. Uh, just the anxiety of the, um, we changed how much the toll is for the yes, subway. exactly. And they start small like that. Mm-hmm. But the going from, should I kiss this girl, to, am I going to be murdered by a mob led by an ice cream truck? <laughs> in, in basically one to two steps. Yes. Is the perfect example. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, right, the anxiety dream stuff feels like the, like, I want to get somewhere and I keep coming back. I keep showing back up at this place. Like when he shows up at the bar, when he shows back up at the the, um, Rosanna Arquette's apartment. And you can't get rid of certain people. They keep showing. Yeah. The one thing I'm, like I was saying, I feel Mm. like everything that's kind of expressionistic in this feels like it makes sense and it has its place. And I'm not saying this doesn't, but it was the only thing I couldn't quite connect. And that's the burn talk of her being a burn victim. And then they seem to show some, but then it seems to be later revealed to be the tattoo that connects her to the keychain of the boyfriend. Mm -hmm. Is there anything in that that I'm missing or is it just kind of part part of the uh, dread? the right 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 yeah it does feel like whatever the feeling is of that seems to be like a key to the movie a little bit is like i'm horny but it might the body might repel me or like the the anxiety and dread of that she's also a rape victim but then you find out it was her boyfriend which is not to say she couldn't have been raped by her boyfriend Mm -hmm. but she's even implying like was this something that they were doing yeah, and it's consensually it's played or for dark comedy too. Yeah, and um, so it's it's hard to tell a little bit what's real and what's not. Yeah, um, the uh, I I it's such a, the feeling of anxiety 
while you're watching this is like it does feel like it's the first of its kind there might have been like screwball and farce where things aren't going somebody's way yep, and it does men. and it does give you a feeling of like oh my god i hope they do, yeah. do, 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 do come in and like but this because it's so tethered to real people and earth and real surroundings it it just has a truer it doesn't feel like i don't know how to explain but, but like it does feel like I can't necessarily think of a movie that's like this before it, but I can think of a lot of movies yeah, that are like sure. it after. Yeah. Um, the examples are amazing too. I mean, they're like amazing movies. It's like Punch Drunk Love mm -hmm. and um, uh, Good Time. I mean, Good Time even references the After Hours poster in the Good Time poster. Yeah. Or. Um, um, Uncut Gems or Bo is Afraid, whatever. And I've been thinking on it, Matt, trying to figure it out. I was like, is it that it's like greatest generation? The thing they have to like be fighting in their brains is fascism on the other side of the earth. And you're thinking about the evil that's out there. And then... With boomers, and I know Scorsese's a boomer, but it's more like he has his finger to the winds of how things are changing, like with After Hours or something. But that seems more like the institution is the thing that's causing the horror. Like, that's the thing. And I don't know if it says something about Gen Xers or millennials, but the fact that there's now so many movies that are about the anxious, agitated state of feeling something in life, I do think that like, this feels like whatever this particular type of contemporary anxiety just maybe didn't fucking exist in the 1930s, 40s. I think, like, that, I think that's you're right. just not even speaking to it. It's like the idea of like, how do I get my token? And if I don't get my token to get on the train how do i get home because people i, I <laughs> really think people were facing greater fears so no one had low level anxiety because they had real concerns like you said fascism mm. hunger you know shelter mm. and things like that and it isn't until the boomers are born in the 50s when they've been given a world that quote american dream where you have a better life than your parents mm -hmm. and so you get to start worrying about little things like bus tokens and mm -hmm. stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, then we especially, I think have more anxiety in a way that they might've, but about pettier things. And I say that with no pride, like obviously mm -hmm. no pride, but mm -hmm. I think in a way we don't have enough direct threat to put our worries to, so we have to attach. I, it's crazy what I will attach my anxiety to. And if there's not something that's really bothering me, I'll take the next biggest thing. And on, on a good day for anybody else or like someone of a prior generation, that would be fine. But I attach it to the smallest thing just so I can have anxiety placed somewhere. Mm -hmm. And that's just disgusting. Yeah. I mean, I guess it makes you wonder if like, uh, oh, if the thing is um, there to be a container for my anxiety is that just its purpose? And 
uh, now I can move on? Or is it like, oh, I'm not actually, I'm not really experiencing my feelings because I am attaching it to a dumb clickbait thing or something, right? Yeah. I don't know if I'm articulating that quite well. I, I, I don't know. I, um, I, I think it's like, like a symptom of I agree with you I, I think it's like a I don't know I, I think partly this is dumb I just uh, oh boy I'm gonna use the word spiritual uh oh yeah. but I'm just like <laughs> I don't mean it in like a religion way but I've just been thinking like lately spiritual only in terms of, let's say, non-material. That's yeah. just how you define it. It's not a material thing. Mm-hmm. Um, the lack of that sort of spirituality that like, we don't, we're not going to find peace in things and that's not going to ultimately get us feel comfort. It's a little what I think about with the the fair going up in this movie. It's kind of like, well, we came up with the token. We came up with the subway. We came up with all this because it fucking sucks to walk. And it helps us. It's convenient. But then it becomes this like, oh, I'm not. Can I get the token? If they're going to change it, can I come along too? Am I making enough money to get the do- whatever? Like, uh. Well, that, I, I I partly wonder would would I be as anxious with this generation, whatever this movie is funneling out, this kind of anxiety, if we did. It doesn't have to be religion, but just like fucking, let's get a little spiritual here, people. You mean just like, have some faith. You mean? Yeah, it, it, it yeah. sucks that it gets stuck to other things, but it's just like the idea right. that like. The token and the fair isn't what's really troubling us here, people. Yeah. <laughs> it's the thing that we focus on. To, so we don't have to think about like, oh, am I in the right job in my, I'm a word processor. Do I really want to be here? I think or maybe what you're saying, and it can be spiritual or not, is the big picture and general, not empathy and like, oh, these people are hurting or that people are hurting. That's good too. But just a sense of looking outside yourself. We're also looking inward. Mm-hmm. And this movie's good at getting that because he is so focused about that token at first and understandably so, but I read on IMDb that someone mapped it out. If he would have just walked, it would have like taken him <laughs> an hour and 40 minutes to get there. And you notice in the end when he's in his paper mache cast and he's seeing all the street signs, the first thing he sees is he's drawn away is a light up sign that says walk. And it, it to me was just like you if you uh, would have just walked, that's you would have so just walked funny. home. You wouldn't you would have never had this problem. But you're kind of doing you're caught in the rat race of something. It's New York, as you know, there's no more of a rat race than New York. And there's even a rat race in, in the social courting. But he's in this little maze affair. throughout the whole night. If yeah. he had just kind of stepped out, I was like, I can actually go outside the maze and just, yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And in the end, not only would an hour and 40 minute walk have saved him <laughs> all this trouble, but maybe an hour and 40 minute walk is what everybody needs. First <laughs> yeah. hour and 40 minute walk where you're not in, it wouldn't have been the case then, but you're not on your phone mm-hmm. and you're just seeing a, a 
different path that you never took mm-hmm. and never would have unless you were forced to. <laughs> it's the it well, it's the you know the um, the Robert Frost poem too, and mm-hmm. the two paths mm-hmm. and all that, it, and that is spiritual or at least philosophical, mm-hmm. and and that's like really worth thinking about. Yeah. Every time I've been forced out of my comfort zone. And I'm not talking about like, oh, rise to challenge, don't say no. There's a lot of good times to say no. <laughs> but whenever I've been forced out of um, a rigmarole mm-hmm. into a kind of like, oh, I've got to, I can't control the fact that I can't sit home and work. I need to go pick up Amanda or mm-hmm. like watch Glenn so Amanda can do this. I am universally better off for doing it. So why I can't mm. think to do that more mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Is is to me is disgusting. <laughs> no? I mean, uh, I I feel y'all on all that. I mean, uh, um, if there is a uh, hope or whatever, I did notice at the end of the movie that when the camera comes back to his desk, he's not there. So maybe Paul <gasps> decided to leave the office. Oh, it's got to be. I didn't yeah. notice that. Oh yeah. wow. Um, oh, that's that's nice. Yeah. The um, what, what do you think he does? Do you think he just took the day off or he quit for good? Yeah, maybe just the sequel would be like a Ferris Bueller's Day Off sort of thing, where his yeah. boss is trying to catch him. <laughs> uh, yeah, because what made me think of that was just like, oh, yeah, it did make me. I was like, oh, this is this character's thing. Maybe you know, I was saying like a character who doesn't have enough self awareness to know what they what they're how they get in the way of themselves. I guess that's Paul's right. He doesn't know he could just like walk out of Soho. Um, the uh, when I, I love New York, and when I visit New York, um, a lot of times I'll get um, so I, I don't want to figure out the subway system yeah. that I will just like, oh, I got two hours. I'll just walk to where Me I'm too. going. Me and too. Uh, really, that's like some of my fondest New York memories. Because it's so easy to walk. walk a grid. Yes, and and to know the satisfaction of like my feet can relatively stay the same pace throughout this a car i have no idea I know. like that's just not in my control and having the control over your own bipedal way <laughs> is nice yeah i mean you and i came from worlds that were decidedly not new york so when you're there yeah. i mean the, i still have an anxiety yeah. about new york that helps, oh me too yeah, yeah, I walk. Yeah. Yeah. yeah i mean i um it's funny with living in the Midwest, though, some of the most magical times uh, living there were the 12 to 5 a.m. times mm. when I'd go out with friends and we'd walk at night because it was beautiful weather. It was like clear. Yeah. But I think particularly like in a small town, it feels a little bit like everybody knows everybody's thing, mm-hmm. talks about everybody's thing. And the idea there was something really tantalizing about... Uh, we're all awake and nobody else knows this is our little secret. Or even when I would stay up with like teenage adrenaline stuff, you know, you stay up until four thirty, like drawing or yeah. some shit. And, uh, I love those moments, like right before the sun would come up where yeah. it would be like, nobody else knows I'm awake right now. I only know I'm awake. And this is just like a little moment of like, it, it's funny. It's different than what, after hours in this, it's sort of like the, you can't escape or something, but, um, yeah. 
But the um, oh, to go with the, what you were saying, um, that him being in this office and kind of in a rat race, particularly during this time in the eighties. Um, now, some people might say, "Hey, this doesn't necessarily feel like the yuppie nightmares that we've done." But I'll make an argument. I think this guy is probably the most definition of a yuppie in all these movies we've seen so far. Yeah, maybe so. Like the classic definition of what a yuppie would be. It would be a guy living in New York who works in word processing in 1985. With art installation posters on his wall. Yeah, right, right. Oh, and let's talk about the fact that he's reading Henry Miller. So Mm -hmm. Scorsese, I know this at least comes up pretty, it's featured in Cape Fear. Henry Miller, he Mm. gives her the books... I'm wondering That's what, right. I mean, he's a provocative author. I've never read any, but I'm just oh, curious. Yeah. Cause he, in this movie, they name check all three titles of that trilogy and same with Cape fear. And I'm just curious what I'm curious what that is. Yeah. Just a big fan. Yeah. Cause wow. it's Tropic of Cancer, Tropic of Capricorn. And then, or no, there's like Plexus. Oh, Lexus and yeah. Sexus Sexus. And, yeah. yeah. I like that when he's uh, talking to her. It, it's funny how, um, much like a yuppie nightmare too, of like, this has to be too good to be true. Yeah. Like Michael Keaton can't be this good of a tenant in Pacific Heights. <laughs> it's like... He can't be this good of a Mr. Mom and Mr. Mom. Uh, yes, that, uh, <laughs> that it's like the fantasy that you would read a cool book that would capture the interest of a cool chick like, like it's yeah. unfolding yes. like, uh, like, dude, well, that's turn around. No, no, no. This is too does, good to be true. It feels like a trap. The bait, because that's the bait, right? Well, when he says at the very end, which is maybe a little too on point where he says, uh, uh, hey, just because I want to get late, I got to die for it. I just want to meet a girl. I got to die for it. But it's funny. That's like what the Friday the 13th movies are about yeah. at this time, too. It's like whatever his drive to get laid it's like you shouldn't be doing that i'd yeah. love little jason to come in and chase uh, this guy around me takes manhattan yeah <laughs> um go ahead well just that we brought this up briefly before but that so much of it repeats mm-hmm. and i'm trying to think pretty much every supporting character comes back at least once yes cheech and chong dick miller john hurd Catherine o'hara Terry Gar, yeah, Rosanna Arquette, Kiki, John Hurd. I specifically remember thinking like he has three interactions with them. They're always similar, which is like you think he's going to help you, and then it turns, and John Hurd's actually going to maybe hurt you. Yeah, but it does happen like uh, each time with him in different ways. A different, I, it'd be. I bet there are three times Xi and Chong show up. Three times. I mean, the Dick Miller thing is interesting because he does show up twice. Um. Because uh, I love Dick Miller, I was hoping he was going to be the diner owner when he comes back. I know. I thought. That, in fact, for a second, I thought, was he in? in- it, yeah, or is this a different diner? And then, only way I could feel good about how it changed was like, I was like, I guess this is like more anxiety. Not not that it has to fill this Rubik, but it fits like the feeling of an anxiety dream where yeah. somebody's not staying the that kind of whatever yeah, dread of like you come back to a place and it's somebody different. <laughs> yeah, mutated. The yeah. only one that doesn't really come back is that man who thinks he's getting picked up 
And that's a very funny scene when he goes back to his house for, yeah. for sanctuary, but the, the guy's just like thinking it's going to be a hookup. Yeah. And the, um, uh, in a way that like, you know, a movie could been made about Soho in the eighties. And if they had shown no gay characters, people would be like, well, didn't, this is not a Soho movie. They're not showing right. it. Like this movie does after hours seem to, um, represent, Zent it and I love it, it like when they have like the the guys in leather making out at the end of the bar I do think it's like something uh well first of all Martin Scorsese just seems to have a really big heart and love all people and yeah. so I when you see that I think it's just him being like people all kinds of people exist and th these people exist in my movie and oh and they're they're, they're, they're like empathetic of... about him losing his girlfriend and in a movie from 1985 yeah that is rare well and it's funny too because it's happening while he's having it's right after the most like heteroish moment where it's kind of a meet cute terry guard they're almost gonna kiss kind of thing He's like, I got to get down here. But they're also having such a man's man bar tender conversation of like, can you get me an aphrodisiac? Yeah, you trying to get laid, buddy? Yeah. It's funny that this yeah. such a hetero dude talk is happening while these guys yeah. are like open mouth kissing. And they wanted Scorsese to take that out, but he had final cut and he kept it in. Right on. Yeah, the uh, uh, those gay characters, the gay characters who live in John Hurd's apartment, yeah. and then the guy who's uh, thinks it's going to be a hookup. Yeah. The characters in the apartment... Um, who think at first Griffin Dunn is stealing, yeah. uh, is robbing the place. That for me is um, a true like, hey, this is what a thing that I love about New York, <laughs> which is they come down and they're like, what the fuck are you doing? Get out of here. You, you rob this place. Show us your ID. And then as soon as he goes, no, this is my ID. He comes back with a more hostility. It's not like, no, 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 no. It's like, no, I'm here because of this and this. And then the beauty, the sheer human beauty that of people just going, okay, because yeah, see, we have this thing where like we think Robert, and so of course you, we'd expect you. Yeah. Like that, whatever that is, I see that all the time in New York. Somebody comes hostile, another person comes hostile, then they go, oh, well, that was just kind of a misunderstanding. I'm sorry, I love you, I love you too. It's I like, guess, yeah, because if you were truly that hostile, everybody there would be dead. Yes. So you have one little crack of a facade and then, yeah. I wonder too, if it's like, if you show your anxiety, it's your way to like show your humanity to somebody too. Yeah. It's like, yeah, I'm getting pissed off about this too, buddy. You're like, oh, okay. We're all human. Right. Uh, it's, it's, I love LA and I prefer living in LA to preferring New York, but that's not an LA thing. It's kind of more about uh, how you work through the, fun fun facades and yeah, stuff yeah. um but uh anything else oh 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 um uh Catherine O'Hara mm -hmm. and uh uh Terry Gar yeah so uh Catherine O'Hara uh yeah she's awesome in this movie and i think she is so cool you know she got offered to be the mom in the first vacation no and she's like role's not interesting enough i'm sorry Cool. Uh, That's somebody who's taking their career seriously. Yeah. And she shows up in the mid 80s in this and Heartburn by Mike Nichols. Uh -huh. That's basically it. Yeah. And if you look at it, you're like, because she's 
waiting. She's like, I'm not going to be in a a disposable comedy. I want to work with Martin Scorsese. I want to work with um, uh, Mike Nichols. Well, she's like Griffin Dunmore. I, I go, she's just, you forget how good an actress she is. You know how funny she is. But even in Home Alone, she's acting first. She's always acting first. All the SCTV All the, people are amazing actors. Yeah, and really. And you don't realize it because you're often laughing at them. So when you see her in a movie like this that's not drop-dead funny mm-hmm. but still funny, you, you go, my God, she's just a good actor. Yeah, that scene is really funny when she's messing up with the numbers and stuff. And he goes, just give me that. I'm so sorry I did yeah, that. Like, yeah. he doesn't even take a breath to apologize how he yelled at her. Um, Are you talking about the phone number? Yeah. Oh, God, that was killing me because at one point he just, it feels like an improvisation, but he's just like, well, she's reading the phone number. And he goes, well, that's not enough numbers. So, okay. Because it's under seven. And then that's she adds funny. on the prefix. How does this movie get away with not doing the 555? There's a handful of movies. Uh. Like through the eighties and nineties, that didn't do five five five, and you're always wondering, like, what? Why? So do they if they get can, to? well, then yeah. why don't everybody? And are yeah. they paying for a phone bill <laughs> or what? Uh, yeah, the um, uh, and then oh, oh, Catherine O'Hara is in um, Beetlejuice as well as we know, but that's also a Geffen um, Pictures movie. Mm. Now, just logo loco, real quick. It's the new Warner Brothers logo, the Saul Bass one, the one that we love. That's a, your Instagram yeah. logo. Um, that was made by Saul Bass. They took it out, replaced it with the shield, but Saul Bass did the Geffen logo, that little oh, cool G stone thing that like turns. Oh. Um, and I have a little theory, with the exception, I think, of one movie, all of David Geffen's movies are about yuppies. They're punching down or laughing at what's yuppies. the one that's the ex- exception uh like men don't leave oh okay. <laughs> uh, but like you know they made uh risky business and lost in america and beetlejuice and this uh, they're all like huh and it's interesting because david geffen probably has final say about these movies and so you go well a lot of us don't like yuppies and kind of want to see them get come up. It's because they think they're too good. And who do they think they are thinking they're too good? With David Geffen, I think it's partly like, who are these nouveau rich yuppie assholes coming along? I'm going to make fun of them. So everybody gets to make fun of the yuppies, yeah. but it's for different reasons <laughs> for each person. Um, but the last thing I was going to say with Terry Garr, um, uh, she's so great in this. Oh, always. And... I think of, you could say maybe Julie Christie or whatever, uh, 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 Jill uh, Burstyn, uh, um, Ellen Burstyn, not Jill Burstyn, uh, Jill Clayburg yeah. or Ellen Burstyn. Yeah. I think the actor, the actress of New Hollywood is Terry Garr. I agree. And she can do it all. Every New Hollywood filmmaker, I think with the exception of De Palma, cast her in a movie. Spielberg, Close Encounters, yeah. Coppola, One from the Heart. Um, Scorsese with this and fucking filmmakers love her audiences love her she's so great she's in Mel Brooks movies she's That's in Scorsese right. movies she's so so good uh, Sydney Pollack and Tootsie like, right I love that she's just got a 50s thing too that they yeah. kind of talk about but they don't really discuss yeah she's like you like the monkeys yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a funny thing too because yeah if that was like 
what, 65 or something that they're kind of referencing. It's just like that weird thing of it's only 20 years. Yeah. It'd be like now somebody doing a movie and a girl being obsessed with like 2004 or something. Was it, were they referencing 65? Is that because of the monkeys? I think so. And then later they say something to her about, Oh, oh! I, I assume because the John Hurt goes uh, Miss Queen of 1965 or something like oh, that. Oh, okay, yeah. yeah. But no, it is more 50s too. Well, with she's the beehive got all that and... Aquanet hairspray in the background and her, her beehive hairdos. And well, then it becomes funny because this this movie ages. They think they're just doing a little funny capsule thing about 50s, 60s kitsch. But now we get this little what the 80s yeah. that was a thing. Whatever John Waters or whatever, right. just the like kitschy yeah. 50 60 thing um i love her in that though and she's like again characters get dimension god damn it in humanity yeah. where he says gee whiz and she's like what's that some sort of smart remark i hear people laughing when i walk by i'm like oh my god this woman knows I she's know. a joke i know and and then, just right away the message she leaves him of like i need to help me i hate this job and then terry gar's crying real tears yeah. in that scene getting yeah. upset but then in real tears starts saying okay Sometimes I can't figure out the tax. It's 8% that I can't do that. Then it's like really funny, but she's actually crying. Oh, it's the best. I also see so much of her in Jennifer Aniston too, like especially in this movie. Almost to the point where did Jennifer Aniston like subconsciously model her style? Did you ever do this when you were kind of like a young actor? Hmm. You didn't mean to, but you had someone in your mind when you were doing a scene, like it just filtered through you and Comedy wise, I think I was always thinking Chevy Chase when I was younger. Yeah. And it's there I'm taking from him, stealing from him or something. Mm-hmm. And I, I just see so much of her delivery in Jennifer Aniston. Yeah, I see that too. That it could easily be when Jennifer Aniston logged on yeah. in her brain as an actor, she was absorbing. Uh, Terry Gar, and they have moment. similar physical traits, like their voice. But do you know that thing Terry Gar does a lot? And I see that kind of yeah, yeah, yeah. And also this, the yeah. She looks to the side and then looks back. And now I'm doing a Catherine O'Hara character from Waiting for Government. But no, Terry Gar really does in Mr. Mom, especially like she'll get insulted and she'll go, yes. So you think this? Oh, you know. Speaking of great facial the things that Griffin Dunn does in this, whenever he has to take a moment to think about how he's going to navigate this thing, he'll kind of do this thing where his eyes go up in his head. It'll be like, when she's like, do you think I should get back with my boyfriend? It's like, huh, um, I guess, you know. Uh, it's so funny because everybody's so been in this good. situation where you can't go, yes! Yes. Because it's like, whoa, easy. So you go, oh, well, you know, I think that's just something uh, you have to come up with. We haven't praised uh, him enough, even though all we've been doing is praising him. He's just got a post-Dustin Hoffman, like not ooh. typical leading man charisma, yeah. but he's kind of like the perfect mix of an anti-leading man with, with some... He's got some leading man looks mm-hmm. in a way. They're mm-hmm. intellectual mm-hmm. or whatever you'd call it, even to the point of like nebbishy in a way. Mm-hmm. And the fact that it's the 80s, so you would, he, his eyebrows didn't have to be groomed and he has a full He's got a little body brow, yeah, and brow, yeah. And it's just the greatest. And he's so yeah charismatic with also having a, just like a pinch of uh, insufferability. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so yeah, he's yeah, not yeah. a perfect protagonist. Yes. You know? Well, and this is... um. Uh, 
oh, the perfect protagonist fits into kind of like the when I showed that clip and stuff. But the um, to your point, he definitely this character does seem like it exists in the post Dustin Hoffman, post Woody Allen yeah. thing, where a lead could you know. Yeah. Um, it's funny you brought up Dustin Hoffman because when you said Chevy Chase, I was like. I'm sure on some unconscious level, uh, the person, anybody who looks like me, <laughs> aims for is like, oh, Dustin Hoffman's the shit. Oh, funny. He's like yeah. one of the best dramatic actors and he's also one of the funniest. Now, I'm not, of course, putting myself in that category. But, it, it, but uh, it, that, <laughs> it's funny because Chevy Chase is like, well, if you're tall and you look straight, you know what I mean? Yeah. You look like a straight guy. It's yeah. like the thing Will Ferrell has too, which is awesome. Yeah. He looks tall and he looks like he could be your friend's dad. Yeah. And so when wild shit comes out of his mouth, Chevy Chase or Will Ferrell, <laughs> you're just like, holy shit. With Dustin Hoffman, it's kind of a different joke. It's sort of like, yeah. where does that guy come with that attitude? Absolutely, yeah. Um, How funny. Uh, I um, uh, was thinking recently... I'm surprised Dustin Hoffman, I don't know if he's too expensive or something, but I was thinking, I don't know why more of the Tarantino generation doesn't cast him and stuff because he would have been the person who was like the shit when they were growing up. And he also has his, his style would fit into whatever people kind of do these like human real oh, kind of sure. portraits. I, I get the feeling he's taken himself out of the picture. I'm mm. sure. He I heard he doesn't do stuff with guns. Like he oh. he said he doesn't do a movie where he has he to hold a gun. He also had that pseudo me too moment right. too that in retrospect I can't remember the details so I'm not saying this was it is but it f- maybe was a bit of an Al Franken sort of like are we Overcorrecting a little bit too much. Oh, like, I remember Morgan it. It was Freeman. gross. Was it? Was it? Yeah, yeah, oh. yeah. So, yeah. so like, because like, doesn't Morgan Freeman and there's the Bill Murray stuff too, where it's like, no laws were broken, but it's definitely bordering on a hey, walk yeah. it back, buddy. Well, that's funny. I was talking to somebody oh. last week about um, fits with Dustin Hoffman because I was saying with Tootsie, um, uh, if they did that now, regardless, I mean they wouldn't because uh, in terms of um. People who are trans, it just you wouldn't. It's not a funny comedy uh, to watch a cis guy be like, huh, "Isn't this wacky yeah. what I'm doing?" But I did think if they remade it, it would be not that this guy's difficult; it's that he's canceled, and the oh, only way he can get be in a soap opera is by like. So but I was just imagining Kevin Spacey like as Tootsie. No <laughs> like, God, yes, and it would be made by like a spurned demographic, like. Or oh, if like this the were to get made. now are making like really conservative comedy movies and yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. So, what did Dustin Hoffman do? Or maybe we don't even need to go into that. Oh, I can't be, remember. Yeah, people can look it up. I, yeah, just, I, I just remember, remember it. there was the John Oliver. No, and I'm not saying you're a person who's, uh, you know, not being. Yeah, just, yeah. Just like, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but the. Um, is there any other. Oh, oh, so uh, go ahead. What were you No, doing? no, go ahead. Uh, the. the um, the clip I showed in the um, what you said about the he's not entirely likable in this, um, and the scene I showed in class I think is my favorite scene in After Hours, but it's also the one that feels the most um, Scorsese ish. Because um, 
the cutting of the burn. The burn thing is yeah. cool. That's just like a yeah, that's awesome. That's like an editing thing. The also the um you can basically boil down every with the exception of maybe four or five, a Scorsese protagonist down, like the relationship they have with a woman is does she have a history or does she not? Is she pure or is she not? And the battle kind of goes back and forth between like taxi driver. It's like she can either be Jodie Foster or Sybil Shepherd. Uh-huh. In A Raging Bull, he takes his wife's virginity when he marries her, but then she has attractions to other guys. And so that his downfall is the fact that he can't get over the fact that his wife might have crushes on other guys. Like, um, and, uh, gangs in New York, uh, departed. All these movies usually center around how am I going to come to terms with the intimacy intimately with somebody who I have to accept what their intimacy was and in After Hours, the way it's like shown in that, like, um, he's attracted to her, but then he finds out he has like burns. And burns for me, like, feel like the past. It's like your history. It's like, yeah. you had a life before me. Yeah. I wish I didn't have to think about it. I'd like to think your life started with me. But now I gotta like keep being reminded this thing that should be oh, sexual. I guess that's what it, the burns are. You're yeah, right. it's like that's your past, your past. I yeah. don't want to think about it. Your baggage, like, yeah. Yeah, your baggage, your baggage. Yeah. And then um, this is the Scorsese move, and maybe this was always in the script, but I like I imagine it probably would have been different if somebody else done it. Griffin done this whole time has been, this is like similar to Harvey Keitel and like main, main streets or something. It's somebody who's pretty good and like decent hearted, but that when the time comes for them to be good, they like can't and they like yeah. mess it up. And so my heart breaks in that scene when he comes, she comes back and she's fully ready to have sex. But because he saw the, that book with the burn scars he starts making fun of her pot and like yeah. starts shitting on the pot and saying, this yeah. is bad. And then she runs off and then he runs away. And like that guy who doesn't know how to be sensitive. So instead he is mean yeah. is the like Scorsese character. I yeah. don't know how to be, I want to be kind. Don't know how fully. So I'll just be mean. <laughs> yeah. Especially of that era. Yeah. Huh. Um, I want. There's a couple of things I have in my notes. Yes, like the titles. It's so cool to see that title design, <gasps> oh. but have it not be. It's not retro, retro or nostalgic. It was yeah. fresh and and generally that new. style of the cursive over yeah. block. Yeah, lettering. and both yeah. both of those fonts iconic in their own right, but then together especially. Yeah. And they have that um, the cutting pattern of Psycho or Friday Thirteenth, where they're not credits that fade up give you breath, fade yeah. down. They're like, Dah! yeah, start. They just keep cutting out and back yeah. and forth. Yeah. yeah. Solid squib work in this movie. <gasps> and with my favorite line of the movie, I'll probably yeah. get blamed for that. Yes. <laughs> the and most Catholic line of this movie. I'll probably get blamed <laughs> for that. Yeah. I couldn't tell if this was trying to be a nod or I was reading too much into it, but the little article that gets pe- paper mache to his arm feels like a nod to American werewolf in London about a guy huh? that gets his face mangled and there's like 
out in the night or something like yeah. that. Yeah. And I, I Ababa people. That's Ababa funny. People. Yeah, yeah. And I know we talked about this when we did American Werewolf in London, but man, heaven is a screening room where, where David Naughton and Griffin Dunn change places. And I don't think David Naughton's going to be as good at, in Griffin Dunn's role, but I want to see Griffin Dunn in the main role. Yes. Like meeting, uh, what's her name? Uh, Jenny uh, Agater. Mm-hmm. And having that romance because that was such a cozy little romance and yeah because when he's playing uh destitute at the end in that bar when he goes back to club berlin and uh he looks like shit yeah. and stuff uh that whatever that pathos would have been something that would have been cool to see an american werewolf in yeah London. yeah and that moment too in the in the movie is nice that pathos because he's needing comfort but he's also acknowledging her when they've stated that no one really acknowledges this older woman, this kind of older bar fly. And it's almost like he, he has to give empathy for the first time and he has to look outside himself. He can't be selfish and he's kind of saved by that. Yeah. 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 And then he says, uh, I want to live. Yeah. Um, I think that's all I got. Yeah. Uh, oh, there's a Blondie poster in there. So huge. Ooh, huge where at? Uh, I think it's in when he goes to John Hurd's house. I think. Oh, cool. Yeah. Um. Yeah. The um. Uh. Just uh. Michael Ballhaus is the filmmaker. Oh yeah. There was the cinematographer, and Thelma Shoemaker is the editor, and right. they've worked a lot with them. Um. The thing with um. Uh. this movie's filled with like overhead shots and close ups oh, yeah. of objects. Um, that just is like a Hitchcock thing, but usually it's like a close up of an object to let you know they have the key. <laughs> yeah. But instead it's just like kind of, and there's a shot in taxi driver where he puts his hand over his desk and it goes above the desk to show his hand go across it. And I remember the first time I saw that I was just like, what the fuck is happening? And, I, there's something that's really cool when the camera goes up above people, your brain goes, well, nobody else in the scene can see that. I can only see that. So if I can only see it, then that must mean I should be knowing, percepted to something that they don't know. It's the God's view. Yeah. Yeah, Remember in Godfather two, when the Rosado brothers like do that shootout on the street and it's shot from God's eye view. Yeah. And then we haven't even talked about the key cam in this, when the keys are being dropped down. Yes. Ultimately it was done with a crane, but originally it was shot with a camera on a wood board attached to bungee cords that were meant to stall right before his head. And I think they got it, but it was too jerky and they wanted to go again, but it was too risky and I read a couple accounts in Brantley's notes and mm-hmm. elsewhere that Griffin Dunn was like, no, let's go again. Yes. Because he had no idea that he was actually in possible mortal danger from this thing breaking and falling on his head. <laughs> De Niro wouldn't do that if, if uh, Scorsese had been working with him. Yeah, and also I love the um, tidbit. Uh, Scorsese, uh, you know, this movie originally came in in like three hours. And right. they just things down. I listened to the commentary for this and he said they realized it was like screwball where the faster stuff happened, the less time it would take for you to question uh, the absurdity of stuff. Oh, and so you just kind of roll with it. And he said, everything then became funnier. 
Because this uh, movie was a thesis. It was like a grad student's yeah. thesis screenwriting play. That he ripped off? That he plagiarized? Is that right? From what? Um, from a radio show. Like later, the, this person who wrote this radio play, like the first 30 pages were... Um, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. Like word for word? I, I, I think a settlement had to be made. <gasps> Whoa. <laughs> Oh wow! Yeah. Who knew? When did yeah. that happen? When did that? Come a year out? or so after, I think. The, yeah, oh yeah, my yeah. god! Wow. Uh, <laughs> the um, yeah, uh, that's a uh, it for me. Oh, and I love all the little Wizard of Oz stuff too, yeah. like the surrender Dorothy, but also that he's trying to get back home. Yeah. Stuff. Um, but that last twenty minutes, um, when. From the point that she sees his face on the wanted sign to the end is like some of my favorite 20 minutes of a movie. Just like yeah. when he's getting chased around with that like gothic synth music. Yeah. The streets are all empty. It, the lighting is yes. so Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's awesome. Uh, well, should we, I don't think there's really a best killer, a best thrill. <laughs> yeah. I guess this. that guy getting shot in the window. Oh, yeah. Saying, I guess uh, that is the best kill. Never mind. <laughs> and, um, and I would say, yeah, the best look of destitution. Uh, the only thing I could see um, coming into competition is Michael Douglas in the game when he wakes up in Mexico. That's a good, like, bottom of the barrel look. Oh, yeah. That's the one that's to beat. Um, <laughs> Matt, um, just quickly with these, um, the nopesies, mm -hmm. I think he calls the cops to report that there's a dead girl. Yeah. But they don't come. So I guess that's a nopesies. We just don't see it or they never do come. I mean, it's an ultimate nopesies that you just never see a cop on the yeah, street I love to help he out. just made paper towel signs that say dead person. Yeah. <laughs> Scorsese, if there was a cop, that should have been his cameo. I know. Did you see it in the little club Berlin? He's like the little, yeah, dressed like a Russian military yeah. guy. Yeah, and his parents are in the diner, right? Really? Yeah. <laughs> he always gets them in. Um, glass bricks. We said we didn't see him. I didn't notice any. If you guys saw glass well, I, bricks, I love let that us we know. We got a checklist here. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Going from city to country, quite the opposite. Yes. Um, scrapbook. Now the burn text thing is mm -hmm. like, oh, it kind suggests of, a dark past or a. Yeah, I, I think that counts because it's a, it's a it's like a physical literature of a character's history in some way. Thank you. To really broaden the brush. <laughs> a yuppie party gathering. Um, not so much. The Club Berlin is more like punkers. No, yeah, but in a way, kind of New York yuppies. <laughs> no. Um, trash TV. Nope. Uh, men's facial hair. He has a five o'clock shadow, but it's not because we're supposed to think he's a bad dude. No, he just was overnight. So just the the barfly lovers. You know what? It's funny. There's no bad guys in this. There's people who are like annoying or helpful yeah. or unhelpful, but nobody's like an antagonist. That's right. It's just like fate is the antagonist. Yes. In this. I know. And every time you think, you think John Hurd is going to be a problem because you mm -hmm. feel like you've had this portrait of him as a bad boyfriend, but he's a pretty good guy. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And you then, I think you do in retrospect get that whatever <laughs> she was talking about possibly in the past was more was of a it? role playing thing. Yes, or yeah, yeah. Or, or was she saying something different? I don't mm -hmm. know. Um, fake ID, hidden past. Nope, nope, nope. Um, normal looking protagonist uh, uh, is irresistible to a beautiful, mysterious woman. I think yes. that happens to him about five times. Yeah. Um, no pop-up headlights. 
No suits on the weekdays, cozy sweaters on the weekend. But um, yeah. Oh, oh, and he does have an obscure job. He's yeah. a word processor. Yeah, I suppose. Or, or but it's a more of a mainstream job than. Yeah, that's more um, uh, um, <coughs> basic versus obscure. Like, yeah, I think it's whether it's mainstream or out of the mainstream. And even though yeah. word processor was a little bit more rare back then, it was more in corporate America. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. Well, should we read some Zenos? Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, Josh Baldwin is shouting out his fiance, and they're getting married October 28th. Hey, congratulations, um, Josh Baldwin. Uh, okay, congratulations. Um, you and Chrissy. That's the couple. Oh, and uh, by the way, the the guy I shouted out in his band Vague Pains, Zach, said on uh, our suggestion, made a Discord account and checked out the community, thinks it may be the most fun and welcoming corner of the internet. Within just a few minutes, he had joined a watch-along for The Prisoner, and now reading along with the parable of the Sower Book Club. So everybody, get on there. Enjoy the community. Um, Look at that. Jared Smith does it in bold. How lovely. Yeah, and he's shouting out to his best friend and fellow trustee, the Rust to my Gorley, DJ O'Sullivan. How I sweet. Love it. Um, <laughs> I can't wait for this oh, one. Uh, <laughs> when Tracy, I read this, I was like so excited. Tracy would, uh, would like me to say her name um, in the voice of Dan Hedea <laughs> narrating the novelization of Rookie of the Year. Rookie. Uh, uh, Henry saw his mom kiss her new boyfriend, made him want to boff. <laughs> but what doesn't make me boff is Tracy Sanchez. Boff. A no, new, no, no from Paul for Leslie Savoy. Uh, uh, New, no, no, Leslie Savoy, Savoy Fair, Savoy Great. New, no, no, I'm changing words now, Leslie Savoy. (laughs) Um, Hello, my name is Har Giger. That's H-R spelled Har, pronounced Har. (laughs) I'd like to shout out (laughs) Megan on the wife of Cameron Wood and her becoming a Commodore from the band. Or just so scarily competent. Maybe Um, that was the C-O-M-M we were looking for, a Commodore. Oh, could be. (laughs) Oh, she's not a naval Commodore. If you're curious, she's a what? Uh, There's a link. I hope this is not a trap. (laughs) Hold on, it's H.R. Giger. Loves traps, but only particular types of traps. Oh, it's a civic position. Congratulations. And hi, my name is Ian Fleming, and I would like very much to shout out Shane Benjamson. 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 Once again, the Ian Fleming names that he gets to say are so perfect for every syllable. I'd like to think the people with the very interesting names choose me to read them out because of its sort of fitting, don't you know, you see? That's what I think. Well, Paul. Well, Matt. Next week is Bedroom Window. That's right, the Bedroom Window, uh, starring Steve Gutenberg. Steve Greatenberg. <laughs> and uh, hey, what do you want to rate this? Right. Uh, yeah, so uh, I don't know where streaming people, I, I think, can find it, but um, I've never seen it before. I'm looking forward to it. Me either. Um, what are you going to give this movie? I'll give it uh, an 11. No, a 12. I was yeah, I was gonna say that seems a little low. Yeah, twelve. Yeah, I'll give it a twelve as well. I really enjoyed it. I'm glad you picked it. I'm hey, glad I got all right, to watch buddy. It. 
and we'll see you next week. Yeah, see you next week, guys. Bye. Bye. For more Gorley and Rust content, head over to patreon.com slash with Gorley and Rust to get episodes ad-free and a whole week early, plus monthly mailbag episodes and feature-length watch-along film commentaries of your favorite horror classics. That's patreon.com slash with Gorley and Rust. Email us at withgorleyandrust at gmail.com and your questions might be featured on a future mailbag episode. With Gorley and Rust theme song by me, Matt Gorley, and performed by Townland. You can find us on Instagram as Townland Band, as well as Paul's fantastic band at Don't Stop or We'll Die. And why not rate and review with Gorley and Rust on Apple Podcasts? It'll help us grow the show and keep us trucking through the Jasons and the Michaels, the Leatherfaces and the Chuckies, the Aliens and the Candymans. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.